As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Amid the endless focus on Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo's last World Cups, you'd be forgiven for missing the swan song of another icon taking charge of what could be his very last World Cup game tonight as the Netherlands face Argentina for a place in the World Cup semi-finals. We need to talk about 71-year-old Louis van Gaal back in charge of the Dutch playing fluid if not quite total football again and everyone really seems to be enjoying themselves whatever Angel Di Maria says. I'm Adam Leventhal and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Louis van Gaal's army! Louis van Gaal's army! So also the fans are very satisfied with Louis van Gaal. And my players are also satisfied with me. Van Persie with an early run, he's onside this time! It's 1-1! And the incomparable Robin van Persie runs straight to his new club manager! Mike Smalling. Chris, today. Oh, Chris, sorry. <laughs> I'm always a controversial person. A lot of times I, I use the word uh, horny uh, to my play. Heat from the Netherlands. Freddy Gakpo. Denzel Dumfries. And swept home for 1-0. Quite beautifully by Memphis Depay. I'm a young journalist who has just started and I don't have any question uh, for you. It's just the opportunity to tell you how I'm a fan of you since uh, childhood. You are my, uh, in my arm. Yeah. Okay. Kiss. So we are poolside for this edition. And I'm joined today by the Athletics' Jay Harris and Danny Taylor, plus the Dutch journalist Shurd Mossu, all of whom have been keeping a very close eye on Van Hal in Qatar. Um, I'm going to start with, with Jay, if I may. You've been embedded within this, this Dutch camp. And in previous tournaments, and it's stretching back quite a long time, they have made headlines for the environment off the field. And it hasn't always been good. But this time around, wow! What a happy place it seems. I don't want to say I'm as embedded in the, the Dutch camp as I'm sure Shord is. Um, but yeah, certainly I've ended up becoming a de facto Netherlands correspondent over the last couple of weeks. And um, yeah, I went to their training base a couple of times and there was a 90-minute long 
training session that was open to the media. And I was just really taken aback by how many friends and family members there were. And they were all mingling together, talking. I think I saw relatives of Xavi Simmons, Stephen Bergwijn um, sat together. And there were so many kids running around. There were clearly black partners. Um, and the, by the way, the kids were like running around playing with toy trucks and stuff like that. <laughs> um, it definitely gave me the vibe of when like a holiday, when a family goes on holiday and you're kind of just watching the kids from a distance at the pool and you're kind of letting them do their thing. Except in this scenario, uh, the kids are the players. <laughs> like there wasn't that much interest in what was going on on the pitch. Um, but just gave me this impression that everything was really relaxed, really friendly. Um, so I saw this training session a day after they beat Qatar. So last 16 progress is sealed. They've topped the group. And the very first thing I saw was Cody Gakpo come out of the, the changing room, bouncing a, bouncing a ball. Then Van Dyke joined in, then Ake joined in. And they all kind of started this very small little basketball game. So Van Dyke tried to um, dribble with the ball through Ake's legs. And then they start practicing shooting together. And like I said, they're at a tournament. We know how intense it is. We know what the, the Dutch media have been saying back home about it not being the most entertaining brand of football. But for, for the people that are out here, they just seem quite confident and quite relaxed. Should obviously, you know, Jay is sort of giving his first impressions. You have been immersed in, in Dutch football for years. Give us your sort of take on, on this camp at this World Cup under... Louis van Gaal. Is it different? Does it feel different? Does it feel almost like very spiritually relaxed at the moment? The atmosphere is really good. Uh, the players are, are going on very well together. But this is typical van Gaal as well. Because um, going back to uh, 2001, he missed the World Cup. He got very much critics from the players that he was uh, too close on them, too harsh on them, uh, to, to ask too much discipline. And in 2014, he, he changed that. We played terrible the 2012 uh, Euros, and he got uh, he became coach, and then changed the whole atmosphere around the team because he wanted the players to enjoy themselves basically. And in 2014, he started with those family days. Uh, sometimes he did it even on the day of the game. So they played uh, Spain uh, the, the first game. Remember the, the five one, and he he, uh, he felt a lot of pressure within the camp. So. All of a sudden, he let all the kids and all the parents and all the wives inside of the hotel a few hours before the game because he just wanted to to to, to stay uh, to keep the players relaxed. He, he he wouldn't have done that 20 years ago, but he does it now, and he does it after every game. In his view, it's very important to to do it this way. Danny, I guess a lot of people in England and also around the world will will view Louis Van Gaal through the prism of his experience at at Manchester United, which was. Although it had its, you know, funny moments, exciting moments, um, challenging moments, it ultimately wasn't it wasn't a great success. He seems to be comfortable in this orange environment, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at his career in as a whole, he's one of the managerial greats. He's, I mean, his record is unbelievable. It was just disappointing. I was the Manchester United correspondent at the Guardian at that time, so I was watching every game, and basically, I always say about going to a game at Old Trafford every game is an occasion and it just stopped feeling that way when he was the manager it, it was it was it was very bland the the football was very sort of prosaic basically the flair players weren't allowed to express themselves Rooney hated it Ro you know Ro Rooney went to see him at one point Rooney had been left out of the team Ro Rooney went to see him and said when I get back in the team I, you know I'll play with my tactics not yours you know Rooney used to say that basically if the ball came in from the right funny enough like Memphis's goal against the, against the USA 
the players at United were t- told to take an extra touch and it's sort of like, you know, rather than be instinctive and just sort of shoot first time. And I mean, Ro- you know, Rooney really struggled. I mean, it's, 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 I think a lot of people will find that quite weird to hear because Rooney now talks about Van Gaal as, um, as being, you know, the most tactical manager he can remember. And he says it in a complimentary way, but at the time... I'm not quite sure what's happened there with Rooney. I don't know if there's a little bit of PR being played, but at the time <laughs> Rooney found it really, really difficult. That whole period in time, it just, it just, it. Well, as a lot of things have happened with United after after Fergie sort of retired, it's just, it just didn't work out. Sure. Does it? Do, do you think that he feels like he needs to prove anything, or is that not part of the? The makeup of, of Louis Van Gaal. He seems he, he strikes me as quite a confident fellow. <laughs> he is confident in many ways. He's he's overconfident, of course, but um, he still wants to prove himself all the time. He always gets critics from the from the Dutch media. He always gets gets critics from from former players, and he um, he still wants to prove them wrong all the time, over and over again. But there's also there's always a part of of of, of the opposite inside him he's uh and that what makes makes him interesting i think because he always wants to prove the world that he's the best manager in the world <laughs> and he that, that's the, the one of the reasons that he's so good in press conferences because he wants to explain all the time wants to explain his, his tactics he, he wants to give his give his view on the whole uh on the world cup as a whole because he feels like uh um, not a priest but somebody who gives not religion yeah, he feels like a football preacher. He always want, wants to give something back to to the footballing world because he feels like the football preacher. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 very true that you mentioned sort of this this religious feeling because it was almost like um sort of like a papal reception earlier on in the tournament. Hi, Luis. Uh, Mahmoud Gay from Senegal. I'm a young journalist who has just started, and I don't have any question uh, for you. It's just the opportunity. <laughs> to tell you how I'm a fan of you since childhood, even if you inflicted us our first defeat. It was a wonderful moment. Were you, were you there at that, at yeah, that there news was, conference? Yeah, there was the guy from Senegal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny. And, but that's, that's also um, that's an example of how Fakhal wants to be in the modern world. He wants to be a soft leader, um, not only uh, with the guy from Senegal, but also with his players. He kissed uh, Dumfries after the game. Yeah after the last game he talked about kissing memphis yesterday <laughs> um but when he became big in the 90s in his view he had to be in that in that time uh, people were in holland were very uh, tolerant free and he thought that l- his leadership was needed because players were were, were like um free thinking people in a certain way and now maybe it's too difficult in english for me to explain but uh, the society changed and um, getting more it's getting more hard because of social media people are critic critical all the time it's it's a hard environment now for players to grow up so he wants to give them some uh, love friendliness so he really changes a leader in that way that makes him really interesting i think because he's 71 usually coaches are not able to 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 change the way you have to approach players and he's he's very modern in that way he thinks about it all the time it's another generation than 30 years ago so they need a different kind of approach i'll come on to you know some of the other reasons maybe why he has he has softened due to his own sort of experiences with with ill health but but jay i wanted to just check in with you about 
a lot of a lot of people will will have seen what Angel Di Maria said about the the Dutch and how Louis van Gaal responded to it. He sort of, I mean, for people who don't know, tell us what he said, but also tell us how how van Gaal reacted. Well, basically, Angel Di Maria's, you know, publicly got gone out and said that that van Gaal was the worst coach that he's ever played under, um, and you can imagine that for the reasons we've all touched upon that for a coach like Louis van Gaal that, that, that that's hard to hear so um during his press conference at the the FIFA media center yesterday which I have to say is certainly the most entertaining press conference I've ever listened to he really was on top form and I'm I'm sure I can reveal a little bit more about what else he said afterwards but um he was questioned about what Di Maria said and he basically said you know it's sad it's a pity he did recognize that it was a troubling year for Di Maria because I don't know if people remember but um Di Maria's home was burgled I think it was quite a traumatic experience for him. So he recognised that were kind of off-the-pitch problems. Um, but then he also said, because, you know, he just had to leave this in there. It's like, well, it's actually normally the other way around with, with, in terms of me not liking a player. Um, and then, obviously, he had Memphis Depay right next to him and he could draw that parallel in terms of, you know, Memphis Depay was at Manchester United at that time and Memphis Depay was at the 2014 World Cup and we didn't have a great relationship then. And now we kiss each other on the on the mouth is what he said um so i think van Gaal kind of recognized that he's changed over time and that him and Depay had a really difficult relationship and they've obviously both gone away and worked on things and and it's and it's flourishing now and and maybe if van Gaal had the opportunity to work with Di Maria again maybe he, w- he would have learned those lessons from from seven or eight years ago and and the relationship would pan out differently than it did do danny he, he seems and he i suppose he always has felt comfortable in his in his own skin but just in terms of his his experience with um prostate cancer diagnosis that was what two years ago going through a really difficult time especially and you you mentioned this just before we came on that you know his his wife had died of of cancer um his first wife had died died of cancer so that that will have had a, a huge impact on him and that maybe we're seeing the the impact of of going through a very difficult period in his life yeah, I think, I mean, most people, when they're diagnosed with cancer and they're of his age, without wanting to be at all ageist, basically would, would you know, just want to concentrate on that and they prioritise that. I mean, I think, you know, I think what actually happened was just an incredible story even before we come to the World Cup and the ball's kicked. I mean, basically, he kept it from the players, the, the Dutch players for the best part of a year, I think. You know, he, he would he would go to training sessions. You know, they, they had no idea, you know, be, I mean, beneath his tracksuit he had a catheter fitted you know he, he was he was going straight from training sessions to hospital it was you know he'd kind of like he'd have some arrangement where he'd go in the back door and it would all you know it was all be kept hush hush which is amazing it never really came out to be honest but I just think that tells you something about his strength of personality because just to have to go through that in itself especially when you think about his history and that his first wife um, you just have to watch the documentary that came out on him a couple of years ago just to realize what an incredibly sort of traumatic period that was in his life and how it affected him and yet you can almost see that he you know he's he's got this sort of very sort of stoic attitude that st- straight away he read about it and he and he, and he realized that the percent the, the number he's basically said well, you know why would I be the one that dies most most people survive this well but even so that's quite a brave face to put on it you know yeah so he, he got the Netherlands qualified for the World Cup while all this was going on so even before we come to the World Cup it's an incredible story you know the story of you know if the, if the Dutch team actually went through and actually won this competition it's just you know from start to finish it's just you know it's one of the stories 
Sure. Do you think his his experiences have has helped build the bond with with the players? They know that he put himself out for them, and they almost want to re- repay that. Yeah, I, I, I believe it's true. Um, it, it strengthened the bond between the players and the coach. Obviously, um, he's very after that year. He was very open about it. He talked talked about it with the players. Players sending them text messages. Um, so yeah, I think it's that the the bond between the coach and the players is 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 very good, very good, and and this is part of the story, definitely. In terms of the makeup of the squad, maybe in the past there have been big egos in there, and I know there are a few in there. And look, all all football dressing rooms are dominated by egos because they are top top players, and it comes with the territory ultimately. But do you feel that there's a a nicer balance? in this group that there's no one really that's saying I am the the big I am true uh, I think Van Dijk is a really down to earth guy Frankie de Jong is a very down to earth guy uh, Memphis is colourful but he's 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 down to earth as well in a certain way uh, he's not like a a guy who makes problems within the t- within the team so Fajal was always very positive about this team about how they work together how they uh, enjoy themselves together um, and um, when he made the, the the team for the World Cup, uh, one of the um, the big discussions was goalkeeper. Um, so he let uh, Jasper Sillerson uh, at home, w- w- who was the, the 2014 goalkeeper, and that was kind of a surprise because, well, he had the most experience in in in, in the Dutch national team, and that and but the main reason was that uh, Fagal was not sure about um, uh, making him first choice. And um, he he basically just let him um, out of the team because of his, his character. Because he Fagal thinks he he couldn't really handle uh, a place as a reserve goalkeeper, so he he he, he, let, he put him out of the team just for that. Because he he thinks that when you have to stay together for about five weeks, it's all about the team. It's all about characters. It's all about you know uh, g- making a good combination of of characters. And I think Sillerson was the best best example. And um, uh, he, he's very clear about y- everyone's role in the team. So even the substitutes, they, they basically they know um, their position very clearly um, because he just tells them very open. He never gives them any uh, false hope. He just, Luke de Jong, for example, uh, he's the fourth uh, striker. And he knows it. He's disappointed about it because he 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 only gets in the team when um, the Dutch team is behind in the last ten minutes, and um, it's disappointing for him, of course, because he he, he didn't play a minute. Um, Weghorst was playing, but Luc de Jong was not playing, and um, but Vergaal makes it so clear that that everybody just that everybody knows, even the Licht, who's a uh, Top player, of course. Uh, he knows that he's not in the team, and he accepts it. Accepted, accepted it because Fagal told him uh, weeks before, "You're the fourth choice. Uh, three central defenders. You're the fourth one. That's it. Accept it or leave it." Oh, well, the Licht accepted it, of course, and it works out. Last word before we get stuck into the the game, Danny. Um, and I suppose. What Shud said there is, is almost a reflection of what Wayne Rooney was was saying in the Manchester United days. There is there is attention to detail, but it was always almost a perception of you've got this 
big bulldozer of a man and it's 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 my way or the highway but he seems as if he's he's actually found the the right balance in this in this dutch dutch camp whereby yeah you give give them a little make sure that they know that you're on top and you are the boss but it's it's allowed a sort of a free, a, it's almost like a mental freedom to the players yeah it, um, i mean i touched upon it earlier but i go back to memphis's goal against the usa and i remember saying basically to the guy who I was sitting next to at the, the game that that was actually the exact type of goal that Rooney used to complain about that uh, I mean Rooney used to tell this story about they played Tottenham in the opening day of the season and the ball came in it was Antonio Valencia played it in and Ro- and in Rooney's you know head he wanted to st- run onto the ball and hit it first time but he knew that he could get if he missed that he would get in trouble with it and basically you know people people sort of you know Van Gaal's a very strong manager people want to do as he wishes so he went against his better judgment and took an extra touch and, and it gave Carl Walker time to um, come back and make a saving tackle. But because Carl Walker was also expecting Rooney to shoot, Carl Walker messed it up basically and put it into his own net. So Rooney, said, you know, Rooney says, like, if you look at it on TV, Rooney, when he's walking back to the centre circle, he's like laughing at how absurd it is that basically he's scored an own goal just out of this kind of, kind of strange set of circumstances. But it's just a strange time because on the one hand, I remember that, that, that period so well because I was, I was obviously quite wrapped up in my Man United coverage. And then, so to see it now, it just seems very different. I mean, at one point, Michael Carrick and Ro- Wayne Rooney went to see him to say, they'd have these kind of inquests on the Monday morning after games and he would talk to the players in, in such an abrupt manner because that is the way he is. You know, he, 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 you know, he doesn't beat about the bush. That at one point, you know, Carrick and Rooney went to see him and said, you know, you, you, some of the players can't handle it. And I don't know if that's, that tells you something about the mentality of that group of players, perhaps compared to the group of players he's got now, who maybe understand Van Gaal a bit better, who maybe accept him a bit more. Maybe the problem at Old Trafford was that some of these players were used to the Fergie years and whoever it was, they were, they were going to see him differently and, and challenge him a little bit more. But I came away with the feeling of Van Gaal was better in press conferences than he was in terms of coaching and inspiring the players. But then equally, on the other hand, you know, I look at Van Gaal's record, I watched that documentary, you know, we talked about about him him overcoming cancer at the same time, you know, when, when the players did text him to say, you know, we're thinking of you, coach, and, and all these kind of, you know, kind of nice messages, his reply tended to be, thank you, I hope you're ready now to be a world champion, you know, so, so he's never kind of lost that kind of that huge drive and you know it's mixed with ego but you know ego is good you know ego, people, I, I like ego in, in managers and as long as that person is, is in control of the ego rather than being in the other way around you know so so yeah it's um, you know I think I've seen kind of good and bad of Van Gaal and, but the, the good outweighs the bad Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Blitz. The priest! That should do it for the Dutch. There's two approaches. The front two have got pace, and they stay in position to counter-attack in behind the fullbacks and get ready to just receive passes and speed forward. And then there's the wingbacks. Obviously, Denzel Dumfries played a part in all three goals against the US and two of them came from exchanging passes with uh, Daly Blind, the wing back on the far side. So it's very on paper, if, if you know what I mean. There's not spontaneity like with Brazil. There's not unpredictability. I think we know exactly how they're going to play. I think Lionel Scaloni will know exactly how they're going to play, but coming up with a plan to beat it seems surprisingly difficult. So that was Michael Cox there speaking on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast earlier on this week. So the Dutch should, is it fair to say that they are sort of fun off the pitch, but pretty functional on the pitch? Or, or do you see that fun side? Or not uh, really no, at all? No, not, not, really, <laughs> not really, no. no. They're playing functional football. That's the right word. And I think it's quite smart, to be honest. Because if you just look at the squad and you look at the players... Um, if you take the, 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 the front half of the team, it's like mediocre. It's like players who, who didn't succeed in the Premier League, like Bergwijn, Luc de Jong, uh, even Memphis. Um, all of them, Klaassen, um, Weghorst, uh, Berghuis, all of them. Um, so that they're like good Eredivisie players, I think, most of them. But if you look at the the, the, the back part of the team, you def- defense and defensive midfield, the top players are there. It's like the, those are players for, for, from a Liverpool standard. Uh, even the Ligt is on the bench, you know, it's it's like top class. So it would have been stupid, in my in my opinion, to, to play on the attack with this squad because you, have, you just have better defenders. It's easy. And um, I think it's quite smart to, to, to play this way. And there's a lot of criticism in Holland about the way of playing. I understand that, but Fajal is very clear about it. He just wants to win the World Cup. So this is the only chance to do it. I think that's that's basically the the key thing. The key thing. Well, I watched them in the opening game of the tournament against Senegal, and they weren't particularly impressive. But they do sort of they they lived up to to that sort of. Um, categorization of of basically being functional they got the job done Jay and that's that's basically what they've done I know we saw a bit more a bit more flair and a wonderful goal against the United States so I suppose it it does show that they have got a little bit of variation and it's going to be fascinating to see how they deal with the proposition of Argentina and the the emotional baggage that comes with Argentina and the and the and the crowd as well which will certainly be dominant 
I actually think there are parallels with this Netherlands team with, with England in terms of the outside perception of England, especially at Euro 2020. Just that Southgate was too negative at times and that England were blessed with all these talented players and he needed to release the handbrake was always the classic one. And I'm 27 years old now, so I grew up watching England back in, what, 2002 is the first World Cup I can remember, 2004, 2006. And obviously those tournaments were, were just dominated by England trying to cram their best players, no matter what position they were supposed to be in, onto the pitch at the same time to get results. And we'd normally get crashed out or get knocked out of a tournament in some sort of dramatic way by, by Portugal, most likely. Um, so what Southgate has done, and Van Gaal by extension, is just recognise that you just need to grind your way through a tournament. Because if Van Gaal wins the World Cup for the first time in the Netherlands' history, in 5, 10, 20 years, 30 years, no one is going to remember that it wasn't the most scintillating football. They'll just be raving the about the fact that it actually happened. Um, I've got to say, I think their game plan against the USA was, was absolutely perfect because the US wanted to do what the Netherlands did. They wanted to be the ones who were on the counter-attack and, and playing transitional football. And the US just do not have the same level of quality when they're the dominant ball team. Um, and that's what we saw happen. They had a lot of the ball and they just won their striking options outside Pulisic. Uh, I don't want to say poor because you've got someone like Timothy Ware who's still very young and kind of upcoming, but they certainly don't have the requisite quality that they need needed to go deep in this tournament. And so it was pretty easy for the Netherlands to just say, oh, OK, then you have the ball. See, what, see if you can challenge our fantastic back line. And they couldn't do it. So I think it's going to be interesting against Argentina because I've got to agree with Shord where I've looked at this team and I think if Argentina can nullify Gakpo and Depay, I don't really know where else the goals come from. Um, obviously, Dumfries is, is great going forward on the right wing. Um, but I just feel like if you took Gakpo and Depay out of that team and you put Luke de Jong in, for example, you put Weghorst in, they're two completely different players. So I think they are quite reliant on them. But having said that, I've watched Argentina and I watched them play against Australia and it was, like you said, a really momentous occasion, potentially Messi's last World Cup. So many Argentina fans, the atmosphere was absolutely crazy. But it was Australia and they never really looked that convincing. And Australia, you know... This Australian squad is considered heroes back home for, for just getting to the last 16. They were really unfancied. And they were one fantastic Emiliano Martinez save away from taking that game into extra time. So you think if the Netherlands can, and Gakpo and Depay get those opportunities, then actually Netherlands have a really good chance of going through because during that game, I just felt like Argentina were quite clumsy at the back. So they've not really convinced me in that regard. So I feel like the Netherlands won't give up many opportunities, whereas I feel like Argentina may give up more. Danny, I'll come to you in a moment about um, someone who's maybe not one of those star names like Gakpo or, or Depay, the guy who plays in goal, because I think it's an interesting story there. Um, but Shord, I wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe respond to what Jay said there in terms of if those players like Gakpo and Depay are kept quiet, where are the goals going to come from? Do you think that there is a, there is a plan B if, if those guys are stifled? Um, there is a plan B and there's a plan C as well. <laughs> because well, Van Gaal is all about game plans, of course. And he, what I feel when I when he spoke in the last few days, he really believes in the game plan, especially against Argentina. You can just if if you if you look at him closely, uh, he's so confident in <laughs> uh, it's but he, especially in the tactical way. I think he he really has a has a plan to to play against Argentina, maybe giving them the ball again, 
they're playing quite slowly um so but you, you, what you say is true of course we, we don't have many goal scorers in the team um the wing backs are important could be important in, in the game against argentina as well because the the argentina uh, wing backs are not very good they, 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 they try to attack but they're not very clever i think in a tactical way yeah and um so Fajal, he believes in the game plan and if it doesn't work out they have um you know uh luke de jong is not a top player but he's the greatest header of the in in the game i think in europe one of the great greatest attacking headers and um he, he, he uses that in the game plan so when it doesn't work out luke de jong comes in and they, they change the whole way of playing they're just going to use de jong in the way um he, he plays best so i was going to say quickly for context on like argentina's wingers you've got Acuna, who's um, he's a converted winger, and he plays on the left. And you've obviously got Dumfries, who's fantastic going both ways. So when Acuna's kind of pushing Dumfries backwards, Dumfries should be able to handle that task. But the question is, if you flip it and Dumfries is the one going forward and he's pushing Acuna deeper, is he going to be able to handle that? And I don't really know much about Montiel, who I believe is Argentina's right wing back. But as far as I'm aware, he's not playing at a top European club and he's up against Blind. And obviously Blind scored against the US, which I think certainly surprised me, might have surprised other people. But Blind is quite good at being on the ball and making those passes, but then he's exceptional going backwards as well. We've managed to do a whole podcast about, you know, ahead of a game between Netherlands and, and Argentina with I think I think I don't think we've even mentioned the word Messi yet. And we're gonna keep <laughs> that we're gonna keep that weight going on because, you know, Shord was mentioning about plan A, plan B, plan C. Obviously part of plan A is to keep Messi quiet. But just hold on to that thought for a moment because I wanted to come to maybe one of the unlikely lads in goal for for the Dutch. It's a great story about Mr. Noppart, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, individually, it's one of the stories of the World Cup. Those of us who follow the Premier League closely know a lot of the Dutch players, but we've all kind of almost had slight kind of like revise about this guy because, you know, he's, yeah, but I think maybe even in the Netherlands they've had to sort of like remind themselves who he is because, I mean, he's just come out of nowhere. I think, he, you know, he, he's, I think he'd played about 40 or 50 career games in, in his life I mean the best part of the story is that his career was drifting so much that a couple of years ago I think his family sat him down and said to him it's not is it really working out you know we've got a young family um, you know is this really you know are you happy do you really want to pursue this and I think his wife recommended that maybe you know you've talked about sort of looking at a career in the police and basically to, he, he thought about jacking football in and <laughs> I think you know he, he made a great decision to, to, to carry on basically you know he um it, it was a huge surprise when he was called up initially, but then to become the established number one, this guy who, he's had a career as such, but but he's, I mean, just look at the number of games he's played, basically. I think that's how he's, that he's, he's 28, right, and, he, and like you said, he's only got about 50 games, which... Yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of drifted through his career, you know, sort of very unspectacular, and then all of a sudden he's playing in a World Cup quarterfinal against, you know, you've just mentioned, you know, the guy who we're not meant to be mentioning, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think in a way, so we touched upon it earlier, but it's sort of some, you know, if you are looking at this squad through sort of the prism of... Premier League eyes, you look at it and you think, you know, Vegas. I mean, what do Everton fans think of Davy Clausen being, you know, there's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, there are some, you know, you use the phrase unlikely lads though, and it's kind of, you know, this is a big moment for Memphis as well. You know, Memphis wants to be a star, he wants to be a top, top player, but he is judged to a certain extent by his failure at Manchester United. You know, he scored seven goals at Manchester United. He, you know, he cost a lot of money, he was, you know, he had a lot of hype around him. 
didn't work out. I mean, you know, in, in his book, he, he says that he thought Van, Van Gaal was a dickhead. He actually, you know, he, you know, so that's where their relationship has come from. But I think this is a big moment for him because, because even now, uh, you know, he, he's resurrected his career. Leon, now Barcelona. I still think that people, people remember, you know, this, this bad 18 months he had. I still think he's judged by that to a certain extent. So, so I think, like, you know, if he's going to, if he really wants to be the star that he wants to be, I think that these are the moments that he really has to seize. The star that he wants to be to the star that I think probably everyone outside of of the Netherlands probably wants to be the star of the tournament in Lionel Messi. What is the what is the plan to stop him? Has it been has it been broached? Has what 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 did Van Gaal say about the potential of, of, of stopping the world's best? Yeah. We didn't talk about Frankie either. No. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, talk, yeah. Talking about the, the best Dutch player, in my opinion, but um, no Messi. Um, it's all about the game plans again. Um, we played them in 2014 with Van Gaal as a coach, and they did it perfectly. Uh, Messi was playing as a midfielder more, like he's, he's more like a forward now. Um, but it, uh, Ron Vlaar was playing him. Uh, remember <laughs> him? <laughs> and he was what a throwback. Yeah, he was he was kind of a mediocre player as well. But they, um, they had a, I think they had a really s- smart plan. Um, you know, uh, Ron Vlaar he defended the, the spaces, and Daley Blind who, who was playing as a as a controlling midfielder back then. Um, it is a funny thing because um, when Germany played the World Cup final a few days after the uh, the semis, of course, um, they uh, did some uh, an analysis about the Dutch team playing Messi. And Blind had a crucial role in that because um, Messi is always playing um, on the combination. You know, he makes a dribble and tries to make a combination. And most defenders, they follow the ball. Or most midfielders, they follow the ball. And Blind had just one job. He just he had to stay with Messi, whatever happened. So he, he And he did it so uh, perfectly that every time Mem- Messi was trying to make a combination with, Agu- I think Aguero was playing, I'm not sure, um, then Blind was just in between. He just walked next to Messi all the time, and um, that worked out really well. And I think that that might be one of the key things tonight as well um, about playing together. One, one guy defending the spaces, one uh, one guy uh, defending the pass line, basically. It sounds like a, it sounds like a sort of a, a terrifying prospect to try and man mark Messi, but at times it might actually be quite nice because you do get to just sort of walk around a little bit because we see Messi just bowling around, which is quite a, must be quite a, um, an attractive proposition. Final word, and I will give it to you, Shord, about the Dutch um, and Van Gaal because we've obviously focused a lot on him. You know, we've we've spoken about the fact that this is his last hurrah. Is it really? Or could this be, you know, if he wins the World Cup, he will happily, you know, he's got a place in Spain, hasn't he? I think, is that where he... Portugal. In Portugal. He's got a place in Portugal. Will he just happily retire, you know, with the World Cup on one sunbed and and him on the other? Well, if he wins the the World Cup, he's definitely going to retire. No question about it. But if he doesn't win it, I'm not really sure because... um, he likes to be uh, a national coach, so um, he likes a job by, of, of just focus on football once in every two months. Um, and um, so I, I'm, 
if England <laughs> wants him as a coach, I think it's still a possibility in the next Ooh. four years. I think so. But, uh, he, he likes to be a coach of one of the big national teams. So uh, I think he retires. I think uh, he talks about uh, keeping it open in public. Yeah, he did that yesterday, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but it, I think it's part of the show, to be honest. But if there's one national team that, that he can coach for just one World Cup or one Euro, then he might, he might be open to it. We shall see. Should, Danny, Jay, thank you very much indeed. And, yeah, we've been doing this podcast, sat on the sunbeds in the colour of Argentina. <laughs> However, there are, there's a life boy right here, a big orange one. They may well save us and they may well go through and it may well be the Dutch and the orange that advance. We shall see. Uh, that's all for now. For all the best coverage of the World Cup here in Qatar, head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. You can pick up our latest offer, which is £2 or $2 a month for the first year. There's plenty more on the website at the moment, the app as well for you. I must say, look out for our latest column from the Al Sad coach, Pep Guardiola's former assistant coach, Juan Malio. Uh, it is, well, just go and read it. It's, it's interesting to say the least. It will surprise you, it will shock you, and I hope it will also make you laugh. We will see you tomorrow, and we will know who's advanced to the semi-finals of this World Cup, and we'll also be looking ahead to England against France. The Athletic. <laughs>